Okay. Good morning. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel of Luke. I'll be reading Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 20. Luke 22, 19 to 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word to our minds, our hearts, our souls, and our salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we will see, you said to the twelve, you have been earnestly desiring to eat that meal with them. And so, I beg of you to cause us to come to this passage, to this meal, this morning with a heart and an, an attention that is pleasing to your earnest desire to teach us. To the glory of your name. Amen. We, the, the church... The family of churches throughout the state of California will not continue our deliberately not gathering together indefinitely. That's, that's like a round square when it comes to the church. That's like liquid gas. Think about it. The church, by definition, the church is the gathering together of Jesus' people. The word ecclesia, the Greek word in the New Testament, which we translate church, its original meaning, it means called out. And in its context throughout the New Testament, it, 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 it means those persons who through the gospel are called out of darkness, called out of the world and into the body of Christ into a new family, a spiritual family that again and again and again and again and again gathers to worship the Lord in song and in prayer, gathers over the Word of God, the preaching of the Word, the teaching of the Word. It gathers in order to eat a physical meal. And it gathers to welcome new converts through baptism. Jesus only gave two ordinances to the church. The first that he gave is the door. 
to the church. The door to getting in to his body on earth. It's called baptism. And the second ordinance that he gave to the church is the ongoing, repeated practice of constantly affirming one another's good standing with Christ in his church through the eating together of the Lord's Supper. In referring to communion, Paul wrote this. When you come together, and then he goes off into what's happening in communion. And so in our anticipation of our coming together as a whole, as a church, as Sovereign Grace Fellowship, I'm going to spend three weeks at least teaching on the Lord's Supper. So here's my plan this morning is to go to that upper room, historically, then, in Luke 22, in order that we taste of it, we feel of that particular Passover meal that Jesus shared with the twelve, where He connected the bread and the cup to His body and His blood to be given up as a sacrificial death. On our behalf. That's this morning. Then next week, we'll come back, God willing, to follow the theology of the Lord's Supper throughout church history. And then the third week, to come back and just delve into the meaning of the Lord's Supper. That's where we're going. So this morning, if you're there, chapter 22 of Luke, we want our text cause us to feel, to feel that historical moment, which is the most crucial meal ever eaten in the history of the world. So begin there in Luke 22, let's start with verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Okay. This is the beginning of the feast of unleavened bread which lasts seven days on the first day is when the Passover lamb has to be sacrificed. It's one of these few major feasts the Jews have and God has given to them. There's Pentecost and the Feast of Booths and there's Passover. At this point now, you've got to get the picture. At least, minimum, 200,000 non-Jerusalemites have journeyed to Jerusalem. Maybe 300,000 for this week. The week, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The major purchase of the week is a lamb or maybe a goat. It was required that after the ritual sacrifice in the temple that that lamb be eaten by a gathering of ten or more persons to eat it all. Now, just briefly, I want to read from one commentator to help set the scene 
of what's happening this weekend on this day. The day of sacrifice was given entirely to festive preparations. A massive assembly of priests, 24 divisions, instead of the customary single division. All those priests arrived at the temple early. Their first duty was to burn all the leaven that had been ceremonially collected by candlelight and spoon the preceding night. By noon, all work ceased. At mid-afternoon, 3 p.m., the ritual slaughtering began. This was completed in three huge shifts. When the first group entered in and the temple court was filled, the gates of the court were closed. The priest's chauffeur played, you know, that ram's horn, whoo, loudly. It played a sustained blast and the sacrifices began. The pilgrims approached two long rows of priests who were holding basins of silver and gold. Each Israelite slaughtered his own offering, and the priest caught the blood, which was then tossed at the base of the altar. As the offerer left the temple, the slain lamb and its skin was draped over his shoulder. Now go to the home, the house, the apartment, the rented quarters where they will celebrate that night, the Passover. There's the feel. So now as we go to Luke again, Jesus gets very precise now about the preparations for celebrating this holiday with his 12 apostles. Start with verse 7 again. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare the Passover there. So get the picture. Jesus has a secret plan for the Passover that night that his disciples don't know about. Because Jesus knows Judas' intentions to betray him. When he's alone, just with his apostles, the small group, Thirteen men eating a meal together would be a perfect place to arrest Jesus. 
and he will not have any interruptions during this meal. And so the group of his apostles, they don't know where they're going to celebrate in this big city. They have no idea. Peter and John don't know yet, but he's going to send them away and they'll be the only ones that know until the others show up. And so Judas doesn't know where it's going to be. Jesus has prearranged a place. He's got a secret plan. Tells Peter and John how to recognize it and there will be a man with water. He'll recognize you too. Because look, very few men were carrying water. It's mainly a woman's job in that day carrying the water. There's a man with water. He's going to meet you. Follow him that's where it's going to be. And look at verse 13. Everything happened like clockwork. They went and found it just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Let's fill that out. What that means is this. They get to the house with this attached apartment in this upper room. They, se they secured the room for their meal that night, their ritual Passover meal. And then they went out and they purchased a lamb. And they stood in line in the temple in order to slaughter the lamb before the priests. And then they carried it, along with the skin, back to this upper room. They gave the skin to the owner of the house, which was a ritual for rent, etc. The skin is his. And then they put the lamb on a spit. They lit the fire. Starts to roast. And then they went out again and purchased the unleavened bread and the wine for the meal. And they returned. And they waited. As the lamb was starting to smell really good to them. It's dark, candlelight, they're getting more and more hungry, waiting. And finally, Jesus and the other ten show up. Verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table. And the apostles with him. So you got to feel it. There they are in this upper room. The hour has arrived. This was a critical moment in salvation history. Where Jesus will pour out his heart. To these disciples. Indeed to all of his disciples. John will give us in his gospel a lot of it. And I say pour out his heart. These are the next words. Verse 15. And Jesus said to them. I have earnestly desired. I have not just desired to eat it. I have earnestly desired to 
eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it, meaning again, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I will not eat this Passover ever again. Zit. Until. Until I return. Jesus is saying the Passover now. It looks forward. It looks forward back into history. Far beyond the deliverance from Egypt. And now forward to a day of deliverance in the consummation of the kingdom when I, the king, return and raise from the dead all who belong to me. That's what he's saying. This meal that they're about to partake of with all its rituals is on the other side of Jesus' brutal suffering and death. But he says... There will be a celebration of the fulfillment with all of the redeemed that will parallel this original Passover meal, Jesus' last supper before he died. Okay, you see it? It's right there. Until it is fulfilled. I'm not going to eat this Passover meal again. Until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So, what does he mean? What does fulfilled mean? I thought Jesus was the Passover lamb who was killed literally within 20 hours of this meal. Wasn't it fulfilled? Two decades later, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ, here it is, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Yes, that part is true. So he, he can't just mean fulfilled, I die, and it's totally fulfilled. He's got to mean something more. He is the Passover lamb. His blood was shed so that whoever has his blood painted on the doorposts, of their hearts through faith down through the centuries. Every one of them will have the death angel of judgment pass over them. It's not fulfilled until all of them come in. What I think he means is so in that since this Passover cannot be fulfilled until all of those persons for whom Christ died get born, come into existence, born as sinners, and then come to faith in Him. And when they are all in, finally, Christ Jesus will come back and celebrate.
the fulfillment of this Passover at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So think about that for a moment. Therefore, we who are dying, getting older, bodies failing, disease comes, suffering and fear, everything else that life brings, we who believe, who eat again and again and again of this meal with one another, it means as we eat it, one of the main things we are doing is keeping an eye to the future meal that he promised we will eat one day at the marriage supper of Jesus. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. When he was referring to this meal that the church practices called Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, as often as you do that, this is what you're doing, you proclaim the Lord's death until He And so we read that Jesus has had this intense longing to share this meal, this special time alone with his apostles as he eats this ritual last Passover. Why is he so eager? I think it's clear. He is eager in order to teach them the ultimate meaning of the Passover. In Egypt, 1,400 and some years before the night of the original Passover where the death angel passed over and the blood was on the doorpost outside the dwellings in the house where they ate the lamb, Jesus is telling them that Passover was there as a picture, as a shadow me, Christ, who is the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Because of that night 2,000 years ago, the Passover from then on has been ever and ever transformed. And therefore, it turned into the celebration, not merely focusing on there's Egypt, which is a picture but the fulfillment of Christ. The one who delivers us from the wrath of God and His death angel has come and therefore throughout the centuries His people, Jew and Gentile, His body, His church, as He will tell them, do this again and again and again in remembrance of me will keep their focus to remember the core what you're all about is you gather together as he sits there this meal lasts hours this night Passover usually lasts hours through all the ritual and he knew in it he is preparing himself 
to be the sacrificial lamb. And that these men who are sitting with him at the table represent not only themselves, but many for whom he, Jesus, is going to die. So let's listen to his words. Very carefully. Back again to verse 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Why, Jesus? He tells us why. It's the next word, for. Meaning, because the reason I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you is because I tell you after we're done here, I'll never eat the Passover again with you until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says, this is it. This is my last meal with you guys. This is the last time I will be celebrating the Passover meal. I will eat it again then. I'll eat this Passover then when it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Meaning at the future consummated kingdom ushered in at Jesus' second coming and the final resurrection of the dead. Doesn't that make you want to eat it? Can't wait till we gather together as a whole. Now, as we go through this, unlike Mark's gospel, unlike Matthew, they only tell us of one cup. Luke gives a fuller account, and he tells us of two cups. See it in verse 17? And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. Now jump down to verse 20. And likewise, the cup, that's another cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So let's back up for a moment and get a picture of the Passover here. The traditional Passover meal, all these things are unlike we normally eat. I'm hungry, I'm in and out, I'm scarfing. There's no ritual to it. This is all a, 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 supposed to be a religious, worshipful ritual of remembrance throughout the entire Seder Passover meal. And the traditional Passover meal has four cups or glasses of wine. The first one they take is what kicks off the celebration. The second cup comes after then this explanation. Why are we doing this? And it goes back to Egypt and it goes back to the original Passover and the night of the death angel and the blood on the doorpost and all the explanation is laid out and then after that, they would drink the second 
cup, and then they would sing one of the Hillel songs or psalms, Psalm 113 to 118. And then the third cup followed the eating of the meal. Hour, two hours. And then they pick up the third cup. And then they sing another of the Hillel psalms. And then the fourth cup came after the concluding of the last Hillel psalm that they would sing, as the Bible gives us. And they sang a hymn. That's not the only one they sang. And they ended it, and they went to the garden of Gethsemane. So there's, there's a big picture of what's happening. And so, go back to the text. At the beginning, therefore, of the Passover meal, Jesus blesses their time with the words we've just seen. I so long to do this with you guys because I'm not going to do it again until the end. And then Jesus takes the first cup. Verse 17. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this. And divide it among yourselves. And then he says this again. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now it says, when he had given thanks. That's the Greek word, eucharistio. Hear it? Eucharist. T.O. He gave thanks. This is the reason that the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion has also been referred to as the Eucharist. The giving of thanks. Jesus says, take this one cup and share it among yourselves. The body of disciples here. One. They're in commune. They're in communion. And again, Jesus emphasized the future Passover. I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Boom. And then they recite the liturgy of the Passover. They go through that. And then they take the second cup and drink. And then they sing. Sing Hillel Psalms. And then they began to eat. Now, the unleavened bread was cut into small Loaves are really like wafers because it's not leavened, it's not expanded, it's more like wafers. And we see that in verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now they've been thrown a curveball. 
They've never heard such a thing at the Passover meal. They're puzzled. They don't get it. But they will. After his resurrection, they'll get it. But not yet. This unleavened bread that Jesus breaks, says these words over. In the, in the Seder, in the meal, it represented the bread of affliction, of slavery, of, of bondage. Because the unleavened bread was meant to remind them of their enslavement or persecution in Egypt. That's Bible. In the book of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 16, in telling the people how every year to celebrate this remembrance, verses 2 to 3 of chapter 16 say, And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make His name dwell there, which eventually is Jerusalem. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread. Comma, here's the next words, the bread of affliction. Because you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. So that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So Jesus takes this bread of bondage and of affliction. And he interprets that bread by linking it to his human body. Saying it represents my death. He said, holds the bread and said, this is my body. He means this in my hands represents this body before you that is holding this which is not my body. It represents my body that will be given in a sacrificial death. He says, given for or on behalf of you. This, Peter, links you to salvation. Jesus' death has repercussions for the eleven. And for all others who, like them, have linked their eternal souls to Jesus. As Paul writes a couple decades later in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a, for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My body given for you. Or as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.16 about the Lord's Supper. Tells him, think about it, church. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? In other words, all believers share in one body, which was broken for them, the many. The image that Jesus is pointing to is the unity of believers. So he institutes a practice. A reenactment of what he just did in that room. Quote John, Peter, Bartholomew, Matthew, Judas, son of James. This is my body, which is given for you. Guys, you're going to get this later, but listen to me. Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. That supersedes the remembrance of the deliverance out of Egypt. And that no firstborn children were Killed by God in your house. It's a memorial meal. The church is to recall often, again and again in its gathering, what Jesus did. Now that night, what Jesus did. Tomorrow will do. And then they ate the bread, went on to eating the bitter herbs, and finally, smell of the roasted lamb, they went on to eating the lamb for the next hour or two. It's hard to say how long as time passes. They're talking. Maybe someone cracks a joke. 
Maybe it gets dead serious again, and we know that Jesus did a lot of talking, a lot of teaching. Just read John 13 to 17. If you've got a red letter Bible, see all those red letters. Jesus longed to eat that meal. It's hard to find a Christian who doesn't almost more than anything love the red letters of John 13 to 16. And so he teaches. And they eat. And they eat as he's teaching. And then eventually... Jesus takes the third cup. Verse 20. And likewise the cup. Likewise means he gave thanks again to God over the cup. And then he addressed the twelve. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. By calling the cup the new covenant in my blood, Jesus is clearly contrasting His atoning sacrificial death with the old covenant sacrificial system. Jesus is clearly saying, this cup is the blood, my blood, that purchases Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. No, 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 no. Not like the old. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. No, 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 no. For this is the covenant that I, Yahweh, will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I'll be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one within the new covenant Teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh, because I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin. With Jesus' death, the benefits of new life by the Holy Spirit, which were promised. The benefits of a heart change 
in the sinner toward God was secured by his sacrificial death. His blood in death poured out. For this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. The problem with the old covenant, if I can put it that way, God does. The old covenant, as distinct from the new covenant, means God was merciful to grant to His chosen people His promises. Promises of grace and mercy. His laws. Externally. Only in a book without them having a changed heart. That's the old covenant. The promise of the new covenant is, uh-uh, I will. And as Ezekiel goes into the same new covenant, I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you. To walk in my ways. As Jeremiah says, I will write my law, not merely on paper. It's going to be written on your heart. That's the new covenant. Every single human being who is in covenant with God. In the new covenant, every single one of them has a soft heart. They have come to faith in Christ because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They have been plucked out of Egypt, darkness, slavery to sin, and put into the kingdom of His Son, Put into Holy Spirit life. Paul just says this in different ways in Ephesians 2. Not just Jew, but Gentile. And you were dead to God in your trespasses and sins in which you once lived your life following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You were by your nature children of God's wrath. Here's a new covenant. But God. But, God, that's what we're doing when we're partaking of the bread and the cup, the body and the blood. That's what communion is. It's not an alone thing. It is looking each other in the local church in the eye. 
He's amazing. Yes. Yes. But God. That's what we hear when we hear the words recited again and again and again and again. His cup is the blood, indeed my blood, of the new covenant that purchased the but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, but God made us Alive together with Christ. Paul just, he just interrupts his thought. He said, make it, let me make it clear. By grace, you have been saved. That's the new covenant in Jesus' And his disciples, who are in the new covenant, they are those persons who hear the gospel. And their life changed. They see by his grace. They believe. His disciples are those who hear the words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in Him, shall not perish with the death angel, but shall have unending, eternal, resurrected, enjoying the glory of Christ forever life. They hear it, and they believe. They confirm their faith in Christ, their salvation in Christ by being baptized and being connected to the local body of Christ. And then they, until they die, with Christ's community, regularly keep their focus on that which is utterly central. central. They keep their focus on the substitutionary death of Jesus that purchased their eternal salvation. How? By the memorial of the Lord's Supper. Just think about even to unbelieving Jews today, how ingenious God, not just delivering Israel from Egypt, but instituting a ritual. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Then, how from the foundation of the world, God planned that ritual to be a 
foreshadowing of something even infinitely greater. And Christ Jesus, the man, earnestly desired to eat this with John. Peter, James, Matt, Judas, He will eat it again with you if you're in the new covenant. And it's so crucial. The more you grasp church history, the more you'll grasp our society today. It is so easy for the visible body of Christ in local churches, assemblies, families of churches, denominations, to for what they have in their mind, a good thing. And before you know it, two decades go down the line and Christianity is lost. There is a lot of fruit. There's a lot of time. The Bible talks about it. Preaching and teaching talk about the fruit of love in our lives and social action and everything else. But it, because you and I are still sinners and so open to deceit to get our eyes off the ball, off the center, off the gospel. Oh, how genius Jesus says to all his people. As you are gathering together on a regular basis, eat physical food and drink the cup. As he said, this is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is Christianity. And without it, there is none. Even though a cross may still remain. And then he said, Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For the cross. We thank you for this meal. We thank you for the Passover. As you, Lord Jesus, in your pre incarnate state, Almighty God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit delivered Israel out of slavery and continued through unfolding redemptive history to lead to that upper room somewhere in some obscure property in Jerusalem that night. And here we are 2,000 years later in the new covenant and therefore loving what we hear. We thank you so much and may you continue to be adored and worshipped in our communal time together even through this camera and in rooms. Please let us finish strong together in the spirit of Christ. I